Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Thanks for joining me for Episode 9 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. I'm pleased to have as my guest today someone who has wrestled all over the world. She had a handful of matches in Ring of Honor back in the day, and most recently, she was a coach at the WWE Performance Center. I'm talking about Serena Deeb. Serena, welcome to the show. Kevin, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's great to have you here. I've, I've been looking forward to having you on the podcast because I've been a fan of your work, but our paths have never crossed. Uh, we missed each other in WWE by about a year, so it's great to finally get an opportunity to speak with you. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Yeah, that's, that's always an interesting thing in, in wrestling. If you've been around for a long time, there's always like a handful of people that you've just missed over the years. <laughs> <Exactly>. um, <laughs> and you're one of them for me as well. So <laughs> it's great to talk to you. Absolutely. Well, I've had a standard opening question um, ever since we started this podcast a couple of months ago, which is basically, what have you been doing during this quarantine? But I, I have to amend it, I guess, slightly now. Things are starting to open up. So what have you been doing during quarantine? And now are you starting to get out more? And what kind of things are you able to do that maybe you haven't been able to do for the past couple of months? Sure. Well, no, it's a great question. Um, I'm in Florida. So Florida has uh, it actually closed relatively late compared to a lot of the states um, and opened relatively early. So I think in terms of total quarantine time, we've probably had a little bit less than some, some listeners. Um, but quarantine has been really interesting. Uh, I, I've been in the, in the middle of a pretty big move. So it's helped me to have the extra time uh, to get all of that done. And um, everything went really smoothly. And I guess recently, you know, I started going back to the gym um, and, you know, getting out in ways like that. And that's been really nice. In fact, I just joined a brand new gym that just opened um, and it's super busy <laughs> already. <laughs> And um, just started kind of getting out to restaurants recently. I mean, of course, everybody's being really cautious and, and what have you. But, you know, it's kind of nice to start living life again in, in pretty simple ways. For sure. I read that you were a uh, certified yoga instructor. So were you able to, um, I don't know, were you like teaching classes? Were you still able to do that during the, this time away or, or no? No, I haven't been. Um, I actually, you know, an opportunity to teach it at a studio in my neighborhood just came up and um, I think they're probably going to have to stick with, you know, doing video and Zoom lessons just for now. But right. all that stuff is kind of starting to come back around and I, I'm actually doing a public yoga class next Saturday um, outdoors here at a, like a field nearby. And they have promised in the class description that all the mats will be six to eight feet apart. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me ask you about yoga. How did you, um, how's that something that you got into? How long have you been into it? I got into yoga. It's been almost 10 years. Uh, I actually got into it in, I think it was 2011, maybe, maybe 2010, somewhere around there. And 
um, I got into it just on the chance that my friend had, you know, those Groupon deals um, that she wasn't going to use. And she was like, here, this is a month of hot yoga. Go try it out. I'm not going to use it. It's going to go to waste. And so I had really no expectations. I was just like, I think it's really hard. It's 105 degrees in the yoga room. So I'll just go try it out. And I, I ended up um, talking to one of the teachers after class and the teacher encouraged me to come back, do a 30 day challenge. And so I went for a month straight and I was like hooked after that. I, my body felt great. Um, I'm really big into hot yoga. So I love, I love those rooms that are super, super hot and you're sweating like crazy. Um, it just brings out another side of your, of, of athlete, you know, it's like, um, getting through that, like, especially like a 90 minute Bikram class or something, uh, which is the yoga practiced, um, predominantly for a while. It's like you get through 90 minutes of in 105 degrees and just like the mental, in addition to the physical exertion is just like, you, you feel like a whole new person at the end of class, like not even exaggerating. And, um, I just the benefits that I saw with my body physically, like after, you know, wrestling is obviously not easy on the body. Um, and I started wrestling when I was like 18 and didn't take care of my body for a really long time. And I was really beat up and had a lot of, you know, lingering injuries. And uh, once I started regularly doing yoga, it was like, I mean, I'm still, you know, I still feel my aches and pains, of course. It's, that's probably forever with wrestlers, but it, I'm way better off than I would be if I had never done yoga. Absolutely. I'm a big proponent of yoga myself. I discovered it after um, Diamond Dallas Page came out with his yoga. Yeah. And um, I know Dallas. We actually worked together many years ago in WCW. And nice. um, yeah, I was the magazine editor at WCW. So I've, I'm old, Serena. I've been around so long. Uh, but, <laughs> that's awesome yeah but ddp gave, you know he said here try this out and um you know i was kind of like him like he called it yoga for regular guys in the beginning because it was you know guys didn't do yoga and so i for tried sure. it and as he's expanded it over the years i've kind of i've i've bought his his dvds and stuff and it definitely does work you mentioned hot yoga though i tried <laughs> that once i had a friend of mine who was he's like hey you're into the ddp yoga why don't you try hot yoga with me so I tried yeah. it one time, literally within five minutes. I don't even think five minutes. I'm dripping sweat. It was the yeah. hardest thing I had ever, ever done. I don't even remember how long the session was, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever it was. It seemed like a really long time. And I realized I'm going to stick to DDP yoga. I don't think this hot yoga is for me. <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. I totally understand that. I, I've I've had friends over the years that I've tried to uh, bring to classes with me and some of them love me afterwards and some of them absolutely hate me. <laughs> it's yes, definitely. very hard. Uh, well, one of the many consequences of this pandemic has been obviously a lot of people have lost employment. And unfortunately you were one of those people who kind of got caught up in that. Um, you were let go at the performance center a couple months ago after I think more than two years there. Um, right. obviously no one ever likes to lose a job, but I thought you really handled it with grace. I saw, um, this really classy message that you posted on Twitter 
where you thank WWE for the opportunity and you were encouraging everyone spread love and positivity and we'll get through this together. So uh, kudos to you for that. My question is, where does that positive mindset come from? Um, because it would be really easy to be bitter or down about the loss of a job, but you really seem to take it with the right attitude. I appreciate that. Um, where does it come from? Well, I mean, I spent so many years, um, I just working on myself, doing a lot of, um, I guess, self-reflection and, um, I read a lot of books and I listened to a ton of audio and, you know, just like, po like positive mindset and you know, taking accountability and, and self-awareness and all of those topics. And I worked really hard on it over the years um, to just reflect on how I had been when I was younger. And so that as I've grown older and matured, like I don't repeat the same mistakes and, you know, all of those types of things. Um, yoga and meditation and that whole world just the mindset of, of of that whole world has really helped um because i uh it's not easy you know like i when you do like you know you could call it inner work or work on yourself it's never easy it can be super painful it can be you know you can resist it a lot there's stubbornness that comes out to the surface and all sorts of things but um I worked really hard to get through that over the years. And, you know, I, I appreciate you saying the words, using the words, taking it with grace. Cause um, you know, like obviously there's waves of emotions. There's, there are days where I don't feel so positive. There's days where I feel great that, you know, it's, it's just like anything that's like a major like life event or experience where, you know, there's going to be mixed emotions and I kind of allow myself, to feel both sides. So if I'm having a bit of a down day, I'll, I'll try to figure out why do I feel that way? But what, what actions can I take to, you know, tomorrow not feel this way or tomorrow just improve, you know? And um, so I think it's just, you know, I, I just try to have self-awareness of my feelings and um, definitely don't have expectations to be a positive 100% of the time because it's, that's just impossible for anybody. So it's like Absolutely. having, right. Yeah. It, it's having self-compassion as well, you know? Yeah. And I guess what's, what's difficult um, in this time for a lot of people is people are losing their jobs through no fault of their own, which is, it's a whole other um, thing you have to deal with. It's not like, you know, you were fired for not doing a good job or whatever it is. So many people have lost their jobs just because of the pandemic and the impact it's had on the economy. Uh, but you mentioned, right. um, that's kind of what I was getting at, was I was wondering if the yoga and meditation and stuff did help you, because I've talked to a lot of people who are into those things, and it really isn't just the physical benefits that you get from it. There really is this whole mental um, aspect of it that I've noticed, um, and a lot of people who I know who, who do it, who do yoga, that they, they do have this, they are able to, I guess, maybe handle um, negative situations a little better. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think that's why I've identified so much with with the yoga side of myself, you know, over the years, because I've, I've really seen the changes that it's had in me as a person. And, uh, you know, I, um, 
honestly, like if you, if you go to yoga classes for a month straight, your brain chemistry will be different. I mean, it's, this is not just a, some pitch or whatever. It, it's <laughs> real. Like you'll feel it. And uh, I truly believe that I've, I've tried to, you know, steer a lot of my friends in the direction of just trying it out a little bit over the years, if they're going through a hard time or whatever, because I really believe in it um, and the, and the effect that it can have on you psychologically. So talk to me a little bit about the transition from being an in-ring performer to a coach. How did that opportunity come about for you? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I, I had actually stopped wrestling for a couple years. Um, I had moved out to California and just, and got really serious about yoga and wanted to move in a different direction. Um, wrestling was, at that time for me, starting to feel like a negative experience more than it was a positive experience. And I, um, and so I chose to stop uh, at that time. And so I was done wrestling for about two years. And it's really interesting that right around the time that um, the coaching and all of that surfaced, I, I had started thinking about wrestling a lot again, like obsessively, where I, I was out in California and I was doing other things, but I was like, oh man, I, this is, I'm not done. Like it's still on my mind. It's still in my heart. I can't stop thinking about it. Uh, so time, and I was, I'm sorry to cut you off, but at this time you're still, just to give people a time frame, you're like in your twenties sure. still at this point, right? Like when you stop right. late, mid, mid to late twenties. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was 27 or 28, something like that. Right. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, no worries at all. Um, I appreciate the context and everything. But yeah, so it was like, it was around January or February of, I'm trying to think of what year that would have been, 2017. Um, and I got an email from WWE one day, and it was about doing the May Young Classic. You know, they were doing the first May Young Classic, they were putting this awesome tournament together and they were, you know, figuring out who they were going to bring in just from all over the world. And, and they reached out and said, you know, we, I know you're not actively wrestling right now, but, you know, we'd love to have you come in and do the tournament. And in addition to that, we, they expressed interest in me as a coach. So the, you know, it was, the move was come in and wrestle in the tournament, but the outcome of it going positively would, would potentially be a coaching job. Um, so I like quit my job in LA and I, for three months, just got in the best shape of my life, like trained my butt off. Like I, I went to like two, three yoga classes a day sometimes just got myself in this really strong mindset. Um, to come in to do the tournament and then that July you know I came in for about a week maybe 10 days and spent in Orlando and and did the Mae Young Classic and it went great and I had a really positive experience at the Performance Center and um, basically after that they said you know we're really happy with everything from this week we'd like to have you come back for a couple more tryouts they bring you know these people in for a week or two at a time, see how they fit in the culture and in the environment. And 
Um, so over the course of the next few months, I came back to Orlando and, you know, did a couple coaching weeks and everything seemed to be a really good fit. And I was offered the job. And two months later, I was driving from LA to Orlando <laughs> to move. So did, it, did, did teaching come naturally to you? I feel that it did. I definitely do. Um, you know, we had talked about, I have, my mom's a retired teacher. I have teacher, a lot of teachers in my bloodline. Um, so I think that inclination was already there. Uh, it was, I think the, one of the biggest challenges for me was that I was completely gone from wrestling for two years. Like I, I didn't watch anything. I was completely disconnected. And then all of a sudden I'm being like thrown back in, in like the midst of, you know, WWE and all of this and trying to coach and never having done it before and trying to find my voice and figure that out. But also like coming from a two year detachment of like, just not even looking at it once. And so it was like, it was definitely a culture shock in that sense, because I, you know, just for that very reason, like I had been so detached and then I was full on. So that was, that was pretty challenging at the beginning. Who were some of the other coaches that you were working with? Like, were you working with uh, Sarah Amato, uh, Sarah Del, Sarah Amato, Sarah Del Rey to wrestling fans? Were you working with her? Sure. Yeah. Well, especially Ring of Honor fans. Uh, Sarah Del Rey is, is not a name that you forget. So, um, yeah, Sarah is the head, the director of women's wrestling at the PC. And um, she was, I, I'm fairly certain, like the main reason that I was even considered for the job. Her and I had a great relationship from working indies together and Ring of Honor and Shimmer. And, you know, we had a, we had a pretty, pretty strong connection from that time. And um, she was the main reason that I would, think I was brought in but you know it was Sarah and Matt Bloom uh Scotty Tuhati who's one of the coolest nicest people Robbie Brookside Norman Smiley Johnny Moss Terry Taylor uh Shawn Michaels um Steve Carino and I really hope I'm not leaving anybody out those were the coaches that were there when I when I first started that's a pretty good list of names for sure for sure what were um what would you say were some of the things that you were able to pass on from your experiences to uh your students there the the people that you were training um I, a big thing that i think a lot of like younger people get a little bit lost in sometimes is like overcomplicating things and um i feel like i wanting people to understand like the simplicity of wrestling and why it works and then building a foundation from that. A lot of people want to, you know, walk before they can crawl. And I think that that can be really challenging mentally because you're not allowing yourself the stages of like understanding this and feeling how this works. And then once you feel how this works, okay, now you can go to this. And then once you go to this, now you can have a takeover match. You know, it's like, you have to build right. to that kind of, you know, kind of level. You're not going to be Adam Cole overnight, you know? So um, trying to remind people of the simplicity and storytelling and, you know, how to really embrace that 
and try to grasp that as you go along um, because it's very easy for wrestling to get overcomplicated and overwhelming. Are there if any, that makes sense. Absolutely, it does. I mean, you hear slow down, you hear that all the time in wrestling training when someone's um, newer, that's something they always have to be told, right? It's to kind of slow down and let things resonate. And I think that's, totally. a, that's definitely an important lesson. Who are some of the performers that you work directly with at the Performance Center who maybe you've seen, I guess it's really um, satisfying or gratifying when a teacher can kind of see what they've taught being played out, uh, that their students have grasped and, and it's playing out. Are there any performers that kind of stand out for you that you've seen flourish? Yeah, absolutely. I Honestly, the first name that comes to mind is, is Casey Cotton-Zero. Um, Casey is like the tiniest girl with the biggest heart. She did American Ninja Warrior, yep. uh, be, you know, before she got signed. And, and Casey and I actually started at the Performance Center on the same day. We started our jobs the same day in January of 2018 yeah 2018 and bonded right from the start I was her coach right from the start um produced her first match ever you know like helped produce the Royal Rumble that she was a part of there were a lot of moments where I felt like I was really by her side um and you know I like I think I actually cried after her very first match because I was so proud like I felt like a proud parent um and because we had, you know, I, she was brand new to wrestling and didn't know anything. And I felt that I was pro probably someone that played a big role in, you know, her first couple years. And you know, she's still rocking it. She, she had a really great match last week on NXT. I'm super proud of her. And she's been one that she just shines um, as a human being and as a performer. So I was super, super proud of her. And I would also say Rhea Ripley has been one I know when I when I started at the performance center um you know without giving away somebody's information or personal life or anything but I know she was having a hard time mentally which is like totally natural and happens to everybody at some point when they're there and um I tried to be a voice of positivity and encouragement to her because I saw so much potential in her um, I really believed in her and, you know, just tried to lift her up and build her up as much as possible. And in the two and a half, three years that I was there, I just watched her completely, I mean, shatter every glass ceiling. And I think there's very few women that can hold a candle to her in-ring work at this point, you know, and she's still so young. And I've told her like, the career that she has in front of her, if she keeps her head on her shoulders straight, you know, it's, it's going to be, I, I think she'll pass everybody. Yeah. No, no question. Obviously. I think uh, you're right and housing for her, for sure. Um, okay. Well, we're going to have to take a quick break right now. This has uh, been a fascinating conversation thus far. Um, so after this quick break, we'll be back with more with Serena D. The franchise here of Ring of Honor Wrestling about to watch me some Honor Club right here in my very own living room. But first, I wanted to let you guys know a cool feature. Now you can go directly to the match that you're looking for on any video that exists on the Honor Club. Find the menu in the bottom right-hand corner, open it up, and just select the match that you want to go directly to. For me, 
It's me versus Jay Briscoe from Best in the World 2015. You select the match, it's just that simple. All right, we are back with Serena Deeb talking about her career as both a uh, professional wrestler and as a coach. Let me ask you just a, a question about uh, the state of women's wrestling today. What are your thoughts on it? The state of women's wrestling today is is awesome. You know, it's just undeniable. I, I've seen so many highs and lows of women's divisions over the years in different promotions that I've been in WWE and, and everywhere. Um, it's without question, like it's, it's at least on the same level as the guys, if not, I, I guess it's unfair to compare them actually, but you know, before people always thought of the women as not being as good as the men and the women's matches were lower on the card and they were kind of like, you know, okay, we got to throw the women's match in there. They were just really devalued and, Today, the women are main eventing. They are stealing the show. They're having the best matches. And they're some of the faces of the company, um, the, the biggest faces of the company. So I think it's awesome. It's a huge difference from the Divas era and a lot of the eras that I wrestled through. And um, it, it's completely amazing. Well, I can tell you during my time at WWE as a writer, which was, again, it was right after you left. It was 2011 to 2014. It was the Divas era. And there were those of us on the writing team who were pitching for more um, serious matches uh, with the women. You know, because we had Natalia and we had AJ. And we had some women who could go at Beth Phoenix. Um, so we really wanted, like, you have these women there, like, let's not underutilize them. And I can tell you, as you, as I'm sure you know, the feeling at the top at that point was no one, and this is an exact quote, was no one wants to see the girls fight like the guys. And there was some of us who strongly disagreed with that. And by the time I left WWE, it still hadn't changed, but not long after I left, it did start to change. So, and, and I think obviously changed for the better because the women, it, it's been proven. They can main event when given the opportunity and when that time and effort is, is put into them. Um, did you ever feel like, uh, I, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this question. Was, was it like, did you ever feel like you almost came too soon in a sense, like now <laughs> women's wrestling is, is main, to, main eventing and everything. And that was not something that you were ever really given an opportunity to do. A hundred percent. Yeah. That resonates completely with me. I, to be honest with you, I, I have that thought very uh, regularly, very frequently. Um, it was always fighting against what they wanted from the time when I was at OVW starting out to, you know, at FCW to on main roster. Um, it was, it was just never the time. And, and it's funny you said that line about women wrestling like the guys, because I cannot tell you how many times I was directly told um, over the years, you wrestle like a guy, stop wrestling like a guy. Like we don't, you can't throw punches. You know, you can't do this. You can't do that. The, we want to see the girls pulling hair and doing hair beals and stuff like that. I mean, I, <laughs> that directive was given to me so many times. I, I can't even count. 
Um, so yes, <laughs> the answer to your question is okay. 100%, yes. So we just talked about women wrestling like guys. Let's talk about now women wrestling guys because intergender wrestling is something that really has grown in popularity in the last couple of years. To my recollection, I don't think that's anything that you, have you ever done an intergender match? And what are your thoughts on it in general? I think it's really, you know, I think from a storytelling aspect, it can be really magical. Um, I, you know, for example, a Candice LeRae, somebody like that, who's, you know, one of the most talented women in the world. Um, she had a lot of interge intergender matches that were, you know, really put her on the map, I think, you know, gave her name value that much more. Um, and I, I think she's a good example of somebody that really succeeded in that area. Um, you are correct in saying I was, I didn't really tap into that too much over the years. I, you know, I had mixed tag matches and things like that um, yeah. over the years. And I will say they were some of the most fun matches that I've ever had. And now, when you were doing mixed tags, was it where the, like the men have to still wrestle the men and the women, the women, or were you allowed to mix it up with the men some? I feel like it's really hard to remember now, but I'm pretty certain that it was the women with the women and the men with the men. Right. Yeah. Totally. Since this is a ring of honor podcast, let's talk a little ring of honor. Um, what are your thoughts on the ROH women's division? I don't know how familiar you are or if you've ever crossed paths with uh, some of the Ring of Honor women, probably Angelina Love, I'm guessing. Um, yes. But So what are your thoughts in general on what ROH is doing? It's sort of in a, I guess you could say, a transitional phase right now. Um, we're transitioning. Obviously, we were going to do the Quest for Gold women's tournament, which was supposed to take place in April, which like a lot of events obviously got... Uh, postponed till we're at back up running live events again but just your general thoughts on the uh, what ROH is doing definitely well I the idea of something being in a transitional period is actually really great um, because I think on the other side of that transition is going to be something really strong and really powerful I really believe that um, with the way that women are performing all over the world right now it's just inevitable that the you know that's going to happen in ROH um it's already starting to i think that the women's roster there has a great foundation there's there are people that i see a lot of potential in and then the you know of course you have Angelina who is a veteran she we actually i think have only wrestled one time um over the years which is kind of weird maybe maybe two but i really love her work i've always loved her work i think she's completely solid in the ring um and having somebody like that that can kind of anchor it and can help teach people is is really important um so yeah i mean i i see really big things ahead for roh and i'm really looking forward to so when that women's tournament finally gets to happen. For sure. Um, you obviously are no stranger to a Ring of Honor ring. You had a handful of matches in ROH between 2007, 2011. There's one in particular that stands out to me, which was you and Sarah Del Rey against Amazing Kong and Daisy Hayes in a tag match at Final Battle 
2010. And it stands out <laughs> not just because of the four people in the ring, but it was, I, I did little research on this. It was the first women's match in Ring of Honor to ever be shown live on a pay-per-view. Uh, it was an internet. Wow. It was an internet pay-per-view, but still it was live on pay-per-view because as you know, ROH before that, they didn't have pay-per-views. Everything was uh, for DVD sales. But so this was an internet pay-per-view right. and the first women's match to be shown live. What, what are your memories of that match? That is very cool. I, I don't know that I knew that piece of information. So thank you. <laughs> um, we, we, we strive to inform and entertain on this show. I love it. I really appreciate it. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that match was at Hammerstein Ballroom. I, yes. I think, yes. So obviously an amazing venue. Um, the crowd is super hot there. And it's just, you know, it, you know, being in New York City, any time I've wrestled in New York has just been awesome because I love the energy there. People like people are just passionate and you could feel that. And it's, it's a pleasure to perform in front of people that bring that, you know, and bring that energy. Like it's just, it makes it so much better. Um, I just, the names that you mentioned in that match are some of my favorite people from my entire time wrestling. Um, Daisy Hayes is, is, one of the most amazing human beings I've ever met. Um, Kong is just next level, like impact that she's had on this business. And of course, Sarah is, you know, it's hard to like describe how I feel about Sarah. I have so much gratitude to her. And I think um, at one, you know, at one point I thought Sarah is the best women's wrestler in the world. There's nobody that can touch her. Um, and I think, her legacy in wrestling continues to live on um, today with what she's doing at the PC. And so, you know, just those names like bring back warm, fuzzy feelings in me because I love all of them so much. The, to be honest with you, the only thing I really remember about that match is uh, spearing Kong, like right <laughs> towards the end. It may have actually been the end of the match but yes i was going to ask you about that because i rewatched the match before uh our our interview today and yes yeah, sarah <laughs> was um the finish was sarah uh taking the fall on daisy and before kong could break up the pin you speared her which that shocked me because i don't remember kong ever being speared by anyone before <laughs> Totally. Yeah. I, I, I can remember the moment. Cause I remember, I mean, the crowd went nuts at that moment. Yes. I think they were not expecting that at all. Um, and that was a, that was a cool moment, you know, it's like, man, I, there's so many magical moments from over the years that like, I could still like, you know, it sounds weird, but like, I can still like feel that in my body. Like I can feel that moment and, and the the moments that I had with some of those girls were just like unforgettable. Well, that's, I was going to ask you, were there any other moments that come to mind? Again, I looked up your matches. You were in the ring with Lacey in a singles match. Uh, you were in a four-way with Sarah, Daisy Hayes, and Madison Rain. And I think you also had a couple other tag matches um, in ROH. It was only about five or six matches altogether, but they were spread out, like I said, over a, a four-year period. Anything else from those yes. that kind of stick out to you? Well, my match with Lacey was, that was in 2007. Um, and that was my first match ever for ROH. And 
um, such a blast. Like I, at that point in my career, I had um, really only been working Ohio Valley Wrestling at OVW because I had started my training there. I was in enrolled in the wrestling school there. And then I was wrestling two to three times a week on their shows. Um, and so I was really an OVW girl and I hadn't, I hadn't gotten the chance to get out and do a lot of indies at that point. And I remember I was so honored when, you know, no pun intended, when I was asked to do ROH, because it was like, you know, it had, it just had the notoriety that of being just the best wrestling. Um, and I remember that match really well. I've watched it back a lot of times over the years just to bring back happy memories. Um, but funny thing about that match, I actually separated my shoulder in that match uh, about actually not even halfway through. It was towards the beginning of the match. Oh, um, wow. that, I, that I did not know. Yeah, I separated my shoulder really bad and, um, you know, can finish the match and everything. But the show was in Columbus, Ohio. And that night I had to drive back from Columbus back to Louisville, which... I'm not sure exactly how long, but it's a, it's a hefty little drive. And I had a buddy with me, my buddy had to do the driving and I sat in the passenger seat, like curled over, holding my shoulder, screaming in pain the entire drive home. And it was, Oh, it was excruciating. It was horrible. And that was, I think that was my first real injury in wrestling too. Um, so that's always what I recollect when I think about that match. That's right. It's not all glamorous, is it out there? It's not no, kind of definitely story. not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess real quick too, like another match that always like comes to mind as being a great memory was um, it was a tag match, Sarah Del Rey and myself um, in, let's see. Oh gosh, it was in Atlanta. Um, and it was Hiroyo Matsumoto and uh, Ayumi Kirihara and we had such a blast like crowd was great uh center stage that was the venue and you know it was like that was another moment that was just awesome super memorable because i love love working with uh japanese women like they are just so fun to work with like so amazing in the ring had so much um fun every time i went to japan and so that was such a cool ex experience to be able to, you know, wrestle them in the States and kind of do their style and do their thing. That was, that was another one that stands out as being a really great memory. Well, you mentioned Japan. I know that you did get to wrestle extensively in Japan. And I know that's a goal of a lot of performers in this business is to get to Japan at some point. Was that always a goal of yours? It became a goal uh, after I had, you know, I, I would say like a few years in is when it, it kind of came on the radar for me. You know, my goal when I was younger, when I was a kid and then growing up was always WWE, um, which is a big reason why I went and did my training at OVW because it was the developmental system and everything. But once I got, you know, in the business, I started doing more indies and I was really involved at Shimmer. Um, and also Ring of Honor here and there is when I got really introduced to the Japanese style and that then it, it came on the radar and it like, it got really strong for me. Um, 
while I was doing indies. And then uh, I remember when I, I, I got signed, I did FCW, I did my thing on the road for a little bit. And then when I got released, um, I, Funaki actually was, you know, a friend of mine from WWE and got me connected with Tajiri. And Tajiri said he would bring me over to Japan for a couple shows as like a tryout, basically see how I do. And so I went over there in uh, January of 2011, I believe, and um, wrestled two shows. And then Tajiri really liked my work and he ended up bringing me back like six times to Japan. Wow. And so it was awesome, you know, but what I remember after the first time I worked there, I worked at, um, you know, for a, any wrestlers listen to this and know Japan, they'll know Shinjuku face arena. It's like high, high up on, um, you have to take the elevator all the way to the top of this building. And it's the small little intimate building. It's got a super cool vibe. And I was hooked after I wrestled there. I was like, I want to, I want to come back here as much as I can. I just loved it. And I love the crowds there so much. Well, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that you've wrestled all over the world. We just touched on Japan. I found it interesting that another place that you wrestled was France, that you were actually the NWA France women's champion. I didn't even know there was an NWA France women's champion, but apparently (laughs) the title you held back in like 2008, 2009. I think when people don't right away think of France when they think of a wrestling hotbed, I don't think. So, I mean, what was that experience like? How did that come about that you ended up winning this championship and going to France? That's a funny story, actually, because so that was my first ever international show. Um, And the reason why (laughs) the reason why I actually became the champion was because Allison Danger, um, who Ring of Honor fans will know very well, she... (laughs) <laughs> she uh, she was the champion and then was supposed to go and do this show and became pregnant with her daughter that she now has and is amazing. Um, and so she found out she was pregnant and couldn't go and do the show. And they asked her, you know, if you had to pick a replacement, somebody to fill your shoes for this show, who would you pick? And she chose me and that was super compliment, like very honored and touched to this day that she did that for me. And um, so it was a situation where the title was vacated. And I think I won it on a show here, went to France, wrestled and lost it or something like that. It was like a really quick turnover. But it got me to France for the first time. So um, that was awesome. And what are the crowds like in, in France? The wrestling crowds? This was such a long I mean, this was Oh, gosh, like, excuse me sorry 13 years ago I think so yeah I think it was like 2008 or 2009 somewhere around there okay yeah maybe 2008 yeah you're right so 12 12 12-ish years ago it's it's hard to remember but um I do remember the crowd being awesome like I remember having a lot of fun on that show and there were a lot of other great people on that show like Gangrel was on the show Joe Legend um Tommy and Alistair Black was actually on that show and yeah small world but uh I do remember it being an awesome it was actually at a 
like a comic book convention, I think, or some, some convention where walking around during the day before the show was like great people watching. There were just characters out. And, um, so be yeah. So for you, cause you're like 21 or something maybe at this time. And here you are wrestling in France. Like that's, that's gotta be pretty cool. Totally. Yeah. I was, I was really lucky and really blessed like to get really once in a lifetime experiences like really early on. Um, and wrestling has given me so, so much in that sense of traveling and making friends all over the world. And, you know, it's always cool when you're, you meet somebody years and years and years ago, and then years later you are on a show with them or you see them again. And it's like, man, you remember this time? And that's one of the best things about being a wrestler, I think is like memories with people and getting to relive them. And it's just, you know, like that's, it, it's just indescribable how awesome that is and getting to have those experiences so young. I'm definitely very, very thankful. All right. Well, we're going to talk about um, the most famous angle that, that you were involved in, but we're going to take a, a short break first. So that's a little teaser, but we're going to talk about that when we come back. So stick with us. I'm Quinn McKay, your host of Ring of Honor Wrestling, and the new year brings tons of opportunities, including your opportunity to represent your favorite Ring of Honor star by wearing their merchandise, including... Hey, Dan Hudson, buy my shirt. So log on to ROHProShop.com now to get yours. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest today is Serena Deeb. And I have to ask you about, the. I think when people hear your name, the first thing that's going to come to mind is getting your head shaved in a SmackDown ring back in 2010. So let's, let's go sure. there. Um, obviously this is a memorable angle. CM Punk was initiating people into his straight edge society. And the initiation was you had to get your head shaved. So walk me through this, right? You're in WWE developmental who calls you about coming to SmackDown. And how much were you told about the angle? Whew. Yeah, that was a crazy time. Uh, the, I'll try to tell it quick. The, the background was I had started at FCW in June of 2009. Um, it was going great. We were, you know, they were starting to let the women kind of go a little bit, like referencing what we talked about earlier. They were starting to give us a chance a little bit, you know, um, and they were, you know, in the process of like creating a women's championship and it was really empowering times and everything was going great. And then in October, uh, you know, just several months later, um, I was having a practice match and with a lady whose name I'll leave out. Um, and I actually had my jaw broken in three places. Um, she slapped me in the face really, really hard. It was a really bad injury. I had to have my jaw wired shut for six weeks. Ooh. And um, it was kind of like a, I was very quiet about that injury. I, I, I didn't want it to be really known or anything. So I just kind of like ducked my head during that time while I was healing. And, you know, I couldn't talk. I couldn't eat uh, for six weeks. It was, it was really challenging you know emotionally and and psychologically and everything I was it was a tough one uh and so you know I had it wired shut for six weeks then 
got it, got the wires off. And the doctor told me, you need to wait another six weeks before I'm going to clear you to wrestle. And honestly, you're lucky if I even, this doctor was like, you know, if you go back to wrestling, like you're, you're crazy. You know, I'm sure so many wrestlers have heard that over the years. Yes. Um, and I was like, well, you know, I'm obviously going back. This is my life and my career. So, you know, just let me know when you can clear me. Well, so it was a total of three months before he was willing to clear me. Um, so it was the Friday that I got cleared and I was, you know, so I had just gone into the doctor's office that day to get him to officially clear me, let WWE know, you know, she can wrestle. And so it was Friday afternoon and I was in the car with some, some other people driving to an FCW uh, live event somewhere in Florida. And I was, I felt like that feeling of like, like childlike where I, I knew I was wrestling, you know, that night for the first time in three months, I was so excited. It felt like I was having my first match again. Um, I could hardly wait. I was so excited. And, you know, we're in the car driving and I got a phone call from uh, John, Johnny Ace, John Laurinaitis. And he's like, hey, kid, you know, how you doing? How's the jaw? Just checking in on you. Oh, it's good. I'm, I'm heading to a show to wrestle right now, actually. I'm really happy. Let, let's, like, try well, let's, um, let's try to recreate that. I'm going to do, I'm going to do Johnny. Okay? <laughs> hey, kid, hey kid, how you doing? This is Johnny. So I got to talk to you about hey. something. Hey Johnny, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love doing Laurinaitis. I just had to do that. Perfect. No, a, a lot of people do a great Laurinaitis. Yeah. I don't even try because I would butcher it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying that was great, but it's just fun to do, but I'm sorry. I interrupted your story. Please go ahead. Johnny. No call. worries. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, calls to check in, but really is just calling to, um, about the second part of the phone call. And he's like, you know, uh, so I have something I want to run by you and, um, you, you know, you can, you don't have to say yes, but here's the deal. Have you seen what, uh, what we're doing with punk on TV? I was like, yeah, of course. He's like, well, you know, like he's shaving random people's heads every week. At that point they were doing like random locals and stuff. Um, and he's like, you know, this is, this is an idea. And, you know, would you be willing to shave your head for this role? And I was like completely stunned that that was like the last thing I was expecting on that day. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I was very speechless. I didn't really know how to, what to say or how to, you know, answer that at that point. And he said, listen, I'm going to give you some time to think about it. Um, so think about it the rest of today and I'll call you tomorrow and, you know, let me know what your answer is tomorrow. So some time was less than 24 hours. Right. Um, so yeah, I go what, do what the conundrum because you want to get, it's a, such a great opportunity. You want to get on TV, right. but man, you, you got like, you're an attractive woman with a nice head of hair. Like you're probably thinking, isn't there any other way I can get on? <laughs> Yeah, well, gosh, right. I mean, my dream was obviously like to be on WWE TV and then this op the opportunity finally comes up after all these years of like just grinding and then it's that. So, right, it was it was really shocking. Um at that, you know, I was pretty pretty good friends with Punk and so I felt like, oh man, this could actually be really cool. I could work alongside 
um, somebody that I really respect and, you know, it'd be a, be a powerful role. So anyways, he was supposed to call me back the following day. So I went to the show, wrestled, had a blast, like so happy. Um, and I'm in the car on the drive home from that show. So I don't even know, six hours later or something. And uh, I checked my email and I had an email from WWE travel with a plane ticket and hotel for SmackDown in, in three days. Um, and Saturday the next day came, never got a phone call from Johnny, uh, just had my travel, got on a plane to go to SmackDown Monday. And, um, you know, I got to TV and they were very much you know assuring me if you say no it's okay there's not going to be any like bad feelings towards you you can say no to this but man it was like this was like my dream this is the thing I wanted more than anything in the world and I said yes and you know that night you know that was I mean, people still really, you know, say that that is a segment that they always remember because it was so shocking. No question. I remember, um, I remember watching it. I, was, I used to work <laughs> at the Baltimore Sun. I used to work in the sports department at the Baltimore newspaper. And we work nights, so, and we work weekends. So I'm, I'm pretty sure SmackDown was on a Friday. It might have been on a Thursday then. I don't remember. But <clears throat> we would watch the show in the office, and we're mm-hmm. watching it. And, you know, you know what's coming up because we've seen Punk shave other people's heads. Like you said, it was locals. And now here's this woman in the ring and is he going to shave her head? And they cut to a break. They cut to a commercial. And I was just like, you know, man, I can't like what's going to happen. And we're debating in the office. Like, are they really going to do this? And sure enough, (laughs) like it, it was, it was a completely unforgettable segment. So what was it like for you? You're in the ring now. You're in front of thousands of people in an arena. You know there are millions of people watching uh, around the world. It's kind of too late to turn back at this point. As you're sitting in the chair and Punk has the clippers out, what's going through your mind? Oh, gosh. Uh, Well, it was exhilarating. You know, it was – it's – it's, it's indescribable what that moment feels like, you know, I mean, um, there's a couple moments over the years that, you know, I, it, I, it's so hard to say, it's so indescribable, like the moment I, the day I got signed by WWE is one of those, that moment in the ring, getting my head shaved, like, those are two moments in my life that are just emotionally, like, just beyond comparison to anything else. Um, it was really fun. It was really nerve wracking. Uh, I, a little, uh, another little tidbit to the story that was completely terrifying was before the segment, they, um, they had said to me, you know, it's going to, you're getting your head shaped tonight, but there's no guarantee that you're going to be, you know, in this stable, there's no guarantee that we're going to keep you up here with punk and gallows, like full time. You might have to just stay at FCW and keep wrestling and all of that. So I had, I'm pretty sure, you know, they were playing games with, with me, um, (laughs) with all of that. But I went out to do this segment thinking, oh my gosh, this might all be for, I don't want to say for nothing, but I might do all of this and then still not 
get my chance to be on the road here on, on TV. And, um, and then I just remember, you know, after the segment came to the back, came through gorilla and Vince McMahon was, um, stand, walk, you know, he barely stands up from, you know, what I was told at that point was he never gets up from his seat during the show. And I came to the back and he had not only stood up, but he had walked around, um, from his spot to give me a huge hug and was so like just blown away and happy with that, how that segment went. Um, and that was a really cool moment. Cause you know, I remember someone saying to me later, he never, he doesn't get up for people like that. So I felt super proud of that. Um, but I, it was later, either later that, yeah, I think it was later that night. And Johnny said, you know, we didn't know if you were going to, we were going to keep you in this group, but you did such a good job in that segment that, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be with these guys like full time now. And um, that was a cool feeling, you know? That's an awesome story. And I, I think you're right. I think, I think they were ribbing you. I think you, you knew you, I think they knew you were going to be in all along. <laughs> That's my guess. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, they, they do have a weird sense of humor sometimes. So, <laughs> so you get back. Vince gives you this big hug. Obviously, it went great. Um, at what point do you go look in a mirror? And, and what was your first thought? Were you like, hey, you know what? I'm not a bad looking bald chick. I, I can deal with this. Or were you like horrified? Um, I, it was very soon after I walked, came to the back that somebody... Uh, I think it was actually Johnny Ace that grabbed me and was like, come on, let's go. I'm going to take you to the makeup ladies to get you cleaned up because punk had punk, punk had done his best and he was really gentle with it, um, with the head shaving part and everything. But when I came to the back, it, there were still like some weird patches and it looked very, it looked very funky and it needed to be cleaned up. Um, so they, he took me towards the makeup ladies and held up like a little hand mirror in front of my face. And he was like, um, He's like, man, you look beautiful. Like you pull this off or whatever. And I just remember looking in the mirror and just being like, oh my God, what did I do? Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is like what I'm going to be living with from now on. Uh, but, you know, the thing was like, uh, everybody always remarked like, man, you, you have the head for this. Like you pull this off and not many people can. So it's true. It's true. Not <laughs> like you never know until you have your, it's one of the reasons I'll never shave my head. I have a, I just have this feeling that I don't have a good shaped head for it. You know, it's like Vince McMahon, <laughs> he's even said this about him. So when he got his head shaved, that, that angle that he did years ago with Trump, um, didn't yeah. look good. And he even said, he's like, I'm the worst looking, you know, bald headed man in the history of bald headed men. You know, it was just, <laughs> it was kind of like he had sort of a pointed head. So like, you never know until, until you do it, but you did, you definitely pulled it off. It was, the whole thing was very Manson Girls-ish, right? I think that was kind of the vibe that Punk was kind of this cult leader. And if you remember back in the, you know, the 60s with the Manson family, at one point the girls shaved their heads. I'll tell you what, some of those girls, the Manson girls, could not pull it off. It did not look, <laughs> it was not a pretty picture. But you did pull it off. So, you know, I oh, guess less good uh, genetics with your uh, shape of your cranium i guess I <laughs> the shape of your cranium <laughs> have you ever been complimented on the shape of your cranium before <laughs> not in those words that's a first <laughs> so, so what, what were your memories overall of where you said that you had a good relationship with punk i know he's somewhat you know in some circles he could be a polarizing figure um obviously ring yeah. of honor well all wrestling fans know punk but certainly punk had a big history here in ring of honor um 
what was it like working with him? He's, um, he is a very strong-willed person. So from punk, I learned a lot about, you know, if you believe in something, um, just following that belief. And if you, if you really believe that something can work and that you want to see something happen, I mean, he fought for that stuff. And not a lot of people do that. And I think that's a huge reason why he was so successful is because he fought for what he believed in. Um, and, you know, he was also somebody whose confidence I really admired. You know, he, he, he believed in himself as well. And in wrestling, it can be, you know, it can be hard sometimes. Like your, um, your self-esteem and confidence can be really there's highs and lows of that over the years, you know, and he was somebody that he just always believed in himself. He believed that he should be a top guy. He believed that he should be in the main event and, you know, people hated him for it, but um, it's another reason why I think he was so successful and, you know, he had a great mind. And when I was um, managing him, he always knew exactly how to use me in the match to, you know, make, to get the most heat and like he was just very intelligent um with you know how to how to use myself and how to use gallows and I learned a lot just being out there on the floor managing him um and you know I think people really admire him you know fans especially because he's been I mean he's been one of the biggest names in wrestling in in recent memory and still is you know and he was somebody who completely journeyed from the bottom to the top and you know he traveled the indies and he did all of that stuff and um was pretty much i i would call him the first success story of i mean now we've seen like seth rollins and daniel bryan and all these guys come from ring of honor and and become top guys and it's it's amazing but punk was like the first so you know he's a leader that's for sure no, no question what i've always admired about punk is he he succeeded on his own terms basically like he never you know quote unquote sold out um and he got to leave on his own terms as well so you know he did it his way and uh you know like, kudos to him for that because it's, a, it's a rare thing Absolutely. Yeah. Well said. So we've, we've talked a lot about your career, looking back on some big moments in your career. Let's look ahead for a little bit. Um, is there possible, is there a possibility that there could be a return to the ring in your future? Yeah, that's something I get asked about a lot. Um, I, I will say there is a very, very good possibility. I, I don't want to give too much away at this point. And um, obviously, you know, I've been in the category of being a coach for a few years and I tried to really embrace that. But what I can say is in the years that I was coaching, there's, you know, there's a piece of me that always thought, man, you're still you're still young, you can still go, you still love this, you know, I think coaching really brought out my love for this, like, in a different way than performing did, um, 
And so those thoughts were circulating for many, many years. And, you know, when I lost my job a few months ago, like, like there were portions of losing the job that were stressful and hard, but there were a lot of, there were a lot of feelings in me that were, man, this is, this is like a blessing in disguise because, um, you know, it's, you can go through your life just thinking about stuff and, and, you know, dreaming about it or fantasizing and not acting on it. And right now I feel like this is a chance for me to actually act on something. So yes, I would say there is a very good possibility to your question. Okay. Well, obviously I, I won't ask you for any specifics. I will just make a statement that um, I think I speak for a lot of people and saying, man, it's, it's been too long since you've been in a ring of honor ring. It's been like nine years and uh, it'd be great to see you back in a ring of honor. ring. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate it. All right. Well, it's been a, it's been great talking to you. I, I really appreciate you being so generous with your time. Uh, can you tell people before we wrap up, uh, where can they find you on social media? Absolutely. I, <laughs> I am uh, sometimes very absent on social media, um, <laughs> but when I'm there, I have my Twitter and my Instagram. Those are both um, at Serena Deeb, S-E-R-E-N-A-D-E-E-B. And, you know, um, those are pretty much the main places for me. Okay. All right. Well, Serena, again, thanks so much for your time today. It was uh, really a pleasure to speak with you. Kevin, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And thanks to everyone for listening today. Keep it locked into ROH's social media channels. That's ROHwrestling.com. Ah. Uh, ah. Hello. Hello, this is Dan Housen. What, what the hell is that? Hey. Hello. Oh, that's, that's borderline swearing. No swearing. Remember, you'll get us taken off the air. This is Dan Housen on the uh, Ring of Housen podcast of sorts. Yes, hello. Dan Housen, how did you get, how did you get through to the, How do you do this? Dan, where, where are you Dan, coming Dan, from? Dan, what do you mean where I come from? What a rude question. How did you get on this podcast? Dan Housen is everywhere all at once. Uh, okay, uh, Dan Housen, what, what can I do for you? Well, you know, as you know, Danhausen, hashtag hire Danhausen, you know, get Danhausen a job. Danhausen's on the podcast. Uh, Danhausen loves it. Uh, why hasn't he been on yet? You know, why has uh, Danhausen not been invited? Uh, well, you don't really have a job with um, Ring of Housen. I, I, you got me. Doing ah, so you admitted it's named Ring of Housen. No, yes? no, no. That was a, that was a Freudian slip. Ring, Ring of Honor. Um, I don't know. It seems like Marty isn't real thrilled with you at this point, and I don't want any heat with Marty. You know what I'm saying? So you talk to Marty, yes? I talked to Marty, yeah. I got Marty on speed. Uh, very good. So he said uh, Dan Housen you know, has been hired, yes? He did not say that, no. Put him he, as number one podcast guest? He, he didn't say anything of the sort. Actually, your name has never really come up when I've talked to Marty. I only know what I see on ROH Week by Week. And um, yeah, it like he's, in the television series on the internet. It doesn't seem like he's a big fan, though. He's huge, big Danhausen. Martin, <laughs> as he likes to be called by his close friends, Martin Hausen, is uh, number one Danhausen fanhausen. Oh well, if that's the way you see it, um, okay. I don't want to. I don't want to. 
you know, shatter your illusions or anything, uh, Danhausen. Yes, anyway, so uh, next question. Uh, what Danhausen likes this uh, 10 questions of sorts that you do on this uh, internet station. Yes. And as your number one guest this week, Danhausen would like to be asked 10 questions. Okay, well, you're actually not the number one guest. That was uh, Serena Deeb, but so ah, I'm, okay. you want me to ask, you want to do the 10 question segment. That's what you're saying? Of course, very questionnaire. Yes, very evil. Okay, um, man, you put me on the spot. I really haven't prepared the 10 questions, but I guess I can... Uh... And always be prepared. <laughs> All right, I'm going to wing it, okay? Um, yes, wing away. And it is now time for 10 questions with Kevin. Okay, so let's see. Question number one. Other than politicking for a job with Ring of Honor... What has Danhausen been doing during this quarantine? Ah, very good. Uh, Danhausen has been drawing villains. You know, from uh, the uh, comic books of sorts. They're very nice. They uh, inspire Danhausen. He's been drawing a lot. And also, he's been selling t-shirts. Number one t-shirt salesman on Ring of Housing. Yes, I, I will give credit, Danhausen. Those are nice t-shirts. I haven't actually bought one myself, but uh, they are nice. Yeah, you're lying to Danhausen right now. You say you're number one fan house and you don't even own the t-shirt. I don't think I said that. Okay, uh, let's see. Question number two. This is a logical one. Why should ROH hire you? Because Danhausen is the uh, number one interdimensional celebrity. Uh, he's very nice, very evil, appeals to both. And uh, yes, uh, look at bestseller. Danhausen is the bestseller. He'll make Ring of Housing so many millions of dollars on television. Hmm. Very, okay, you just said on the website. Did you see Danhausen was the bestseller? I I have seen that. Yes, that's um that is a credit to you for sure. Uh, but again, I don't think it really impressed Marty Hausen. Well, maybe Danhausen will join the umbrella selling business then, and then he'll be impressed. Well, that's kind of his gimmick. That's sort of gimmick infringement, wouldn't you say? I would tread lightly on the umbrella sales, but uh, Danhausen will sell rain then. Okay. <laughs> All right. You just said you're very nice, very evil. So I guess that will lead me into question three. That sounds like a contradiction to me, Dan Housen. How can you be very nice and very evil at the same time? Ah, very good question. So, Dan Housen is very nice, very evil, because if you're too evil, you cannot be put on television. And then people will not like you. So, Dan Housen is, you know, hint of very nice and a little bit of very evil. So, he's the perfect mix. That's actually a good answer. I'm impressed by oh, that. No one likes someone who is too nice. They're not trustworthy. And no one likes someone who is too evil because they are also not trustworthy. Danhausen is both. Danhausen is perfect. I'm starting to understand you, Danhausen. I don't know whether that, I think that frightens me a little bit. Yes, I have a good brain. Okay, uh, let's see. Question four. This is one I've always wanted to ask you, actually. Whose teeth are in the jar? You know, various uh, teeth from old opponents. Uh, Danhausen has a tooth from David Arquette. That's a special one. And uh, yes, you know, various humans are nutritious. You collect them, you know, regular human things. Okay. Um, all right, I'm going to go to some of my usual uh, 10 questions questions. So let's see. Question, what are we on? Five. What's a subject you'd like to know more about? Hmm. As opposed to what? Um, as opposed to something that you don't know a lot about. Dan Housen knows everything. <laughs> okay. This question is preposterous. Dan <laughs> knows all and sees all. 
Well, you found a way onto this podcast, so you may be right about that. Yeah, see, told you. Okay, uh, let's see. All right, question number six. Do you have any hidden talents? Uh, yes, uh, Danhausen, quite the artist. Danhausen also can play the musical instruments known as the drum set. Ah, okay. Yeah, see, there, Danhausen, multi-talented. Yes, yes. I don't know if that's going to help with uh, getting you the job, but it's always good to, you know, have something to fall back on just in case it doesn't work out with Ring of uh, I suppose so, but I think it will. Okay. Okay, here's a good one. Question number seven, because you're kind of a, you could be a little bit of a scary guy. So question seven, what scares you? Ah, yes. Very good. Uh, Danhausen is frightened by the ocean because it is uh, too vast. And there's monsters there. Have you ever heard of the Loch Ness Monster? Uh, yeah, I've heard something about that, yeah. Yes, it's, it's, it resides in the ocean. I, I think that's a hoax, though. I don't think it really exists. You're a hoax! <laughs> Settle down. You have to get hot about it. It's no hot. It's springtime. It's not summer. Damn. Settle hey. down. Question. I'm swears. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, uh, where are we? What was that? Okay, that was seven. Seven. Uh, okay, question eight. Besides getting a job with Ring of Honor, what is something that's on your bucket list? Do you know what a bucket list is? Yes, it's a list with buckets, the types of buckets you'd like. Mop buckets, uh, dirt buckets. You know, different types. Dan right, let me, nah, you're not following. Let me, let me see if I can reword it. Um, What's something, what's a goal? What's something you'd like to do in life other than get a job with Ring of Honor, which we know that. Like, what's uh, one other thing you'd like to do that you haven't had a chance to do yet? Yes. Uh, Dan Housen will be giving a late night television talk show on syndicated television stations. That would be one. And yes, send Dan Housen overseas to do wrestling, like Japan or uh, Europe or something, you know? Very good. Huh. Okay. Yeah, those are good goals. Okay, let's see. Okay, here's one. Question number nine. Quinn McKay is worried. I know she's worried that you might be trying to take her job. So should she be worried? And what's your opinion of Quinn? Well, let me tell you, everyone at Ring of Housen should be worried that Dan Housen will take the job because Dan Housen is quite good at everything. You don't want a podcast, do you? You don't want to take my job. No, no, no. That's the one thing Dan Housen does not want. He does not want to do a podcast. Okay. Right. He will not host a podcast. He already hosts too many things. Okay. Yes, uh, he's very good at her job, but, you know, just like everybody there, very good at their jobs. Dan Housen is coming for your job. Dan Housen's coming. Well, uh, that's a little scary. Okay, question 10. We finally reached, thankfully, we've reached question 10. Congratulations. You can count to 10. <laughs> Do you have, here's, here's, a, here's a great one for you. Do you have any final words for Ring of Honor fans or management? Any final words you'd like to say to the people? Yes. Danhausen is good. Danhausen is great. You surrender your will as of this date. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Love that, Danhausen. Uh, continue to buy the Danhausen best-selling t-shirt on their website. And uh, yes, Danhausen will see everybody very soon. Okay, well, Danhausen, um, thank you for playing 10 questions, even though you weren't actually invited. 
that you know mm. Danhausen was invited otherwise he wouldn't be on that'd be quite rude yeah, that's true um but i guess best of luck to you yes and the best of luck to you in your future endeavors this is Danhausen on ring of housing's official podcast signing off mm.